Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Once again, V Radio is proud to have uh, guests of the Venus Project, Jock Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. Uh, today, we'll be talking about uh, a few responses to my previous radio show in regards to Birgitta Johnson Dieter from the Icelandic Parliament. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Venus Project's new activist organizations and get some more of the golden words of Jacques Fresco. So, welcome to the show, guys. Hi, Neil. How you doing, Jacques? Very good. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, I guess just to get things started off, uh, um, how are things going right now with the Venus Project? Very well. We're getting a lot done. Yeah, everything's very good. Thanks. Cool. Well, um, I guess, uh, where would you guys like to start? We did have a few questions that we were going to bring up here. Um, we wanted to focus on, at first, no leaders, participatory democracy, how we arrive at decisions, uh, no authority, but what can be scientifically proven. Do you want to? Well, I can attempt to talk about it. If I fail to answer any questions, Naomi, you have to say... How about this or how about that? Okay? No problem. All right. First of all, I want to say that Darwin, the, the book, The Voyage of the Beagle, his theory of evolution was not forthcoming by a team. It was forthcoming by one person, Charles Darwin. Do you understand that? Yeah. The theory of relativity, Albert Einstein. Louis Pasteur, vaccinations against rabies. Rarely does a team ever come up with anything. It's usually the Wright brothers that build the airplane. If you look through history, Madame Curie, uh, Nikolai Tesla, there's always one person that came up with a microscope, not 15 people. Um, due to the difference in background, do you understand what I'm saying, Neil? Yes. The only time you have a group at work is when Einstein, Yuri, and Oppenheimer directed the nuclear prob- problems to, to build the atom bomb. It was under the direction of people with a great deal of experience in nuclear physics. They, in turn assign the team various aspects of the research to be done. Does that answer your question? Yeah, basically you're talking about, um, as opposed to authority in the sense of somebody just makes decisions, you know, because they're in charge, it's about what you can prove is viable, and then that's the decision that's made. Yes, if you've, uh, if you've designed many different types of speedboats, you have a broader frame of reference than the average person. So they put you in charge. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. You're just less apt to make more mistakes than the average person. Yep, that's absolutely correct for me as well. I've always looked at that as kind of, it it was a matter of, I I think people are too conditioned to the idea that somebody else should be making decisions for them that the okay. that it occurs to them, or rather, even some of them are conditioned in the other direction, where they don't want anybody making decisions for them, 
as if there's a billion different answers. When you use science, there's there's the provable answer, and that's it. <laughs> when something goes wrong with your plumbing, you call a plumber. When something goes wrong with the electricity, you can call your Uncle Harry, or you can call an electrician. You know what I mean? Sure. So you always call upon the, the guy that the captain of a ship uh, is really in charge of the ship. But he doesn't have to hold the steering wheel of the ship. He has other people, officers, that hold the wheel and guide the ship. As long as the captain directs the project. Why do they have a captain directing a project? If you had five guys directing a project, they may come up with different answers. Somebody has to make a decision. We do this, or we do that, or we evacuate the ship. It's sinking. You can't put it in the hands of 15 people. Or the passengers. If you had the passengers on an ocean liner making decisions, they'd be rushing all over the boat in different directions. It doesn't mean that the captain can make the best decision. It means it's better than a lot of people without experience. That, I guess, also goes back into the things that you've said in the past about how politicians really generally don't have any qualifications to be making the decisions they're making anyway. I never knew, I never knew of any politician that increased the agricultural yield. I knew of no politician that made airplanes or automobiles or motorboats or anything safer. I know of nothing physical that they've done. Oh, they have a lot of verbal behavior. I'm not, I don't mean to antagonize anybody this time, but Martin Luther King without a blueprint of what to do about racial problems, cannot tackle those problems. You cannot march for equilibrium. In other words, if, if, if 10,000 black people marched to receive just justice without spelling out what you mean by justice or without anybody put in charge of maintaining justice, you can accomplish nothing. No, I agree. Um, and I think uh, especially it, it, it also a lot of it has to do with, a, you know, an analyzation of a problem. People don't really do enough uh, logical thinking about what a problem really is. And it's necessary to do that before you can prescribe any kind of solution. Um, yes. And that's it, it's there's so much to the methodology of what we're talking about that I think is lost on some people They're They're so lost in the paradigm. You know, it, it, I remember actually I was talking to my friend, Senator Mike Gravel, when I was running for Congress. And I said, you know, is there any kind of schooling or something I should go to in case I win? And he's like, no, not really. And I was like, why? He's like, do you think that most politicians even have any education about, you know, you know he's like, uh, he's like, Ron Paul was an obstetrician. How much do you think pulling babies, you know, into the world has to do with uh, parliamentary procedure or uh, you know, or the economy or any of that, you know, that was all self-taught. And he made a very interesting point, but it segues into what you're talking about is that we're accustomed to electing people to make decisions uh, based on their ability to convince us to trust them, whether they have any real qualifications to make those decisions at all. And in fact, they usually don't. And most of their decisions, because we live in a monetary system, are completely swayed, you know, by who will give them the most campaign contributions. Yes, of course. Another interesting thing is I meet a lot of people that tell me they believe in democracy. They believe in participatory democracy. 
So I asked them, did you vote for the space program? They they look up and they look confounded and they say, no. Did you vote for the Vietnam War? No. Did you vote for the design of the Capitol building? No. The Pentagon? No. Reservoirs? No. Where do you participate? Just examine what I'm talking about. You don't participate. That's a verbal hobby. Participatory democracy is a verbal hobby, which is, has not manifest. Even the people appointed that you vote for are appointed on the basis of upholding the Constitution and the institutions that already exist. If you are against those things, you'll never make it in political office. Do you understand that? Oh, totally. Um, and I think that it's... <laughs> People are accustomed to somebody being in charge from the perspective of, you know, we've they've convinced us that they should be in charge. They don't really consider that it's not, it shouldn't be about any kind of ego. It shouldn't be about any kind of authority in the normal sense. The only authority is what is provable with statistics and data. It's not the authority of a person. Neil, when you get something wrong with your car, you don't go to the butcher shop or you don't go to a group of people to tell you what to do with the car. You go to a Chevy mechanic or whatever kind of car you got, a Volkswagen, you go to a service area where they're trained to do that. You know, bridge builders don't tell people what to do. They just build bridges. The TV authority builds dams, power projects, the things they've been assigned to do. They don't tell you how to fish or how to raise your family. All this terrible projections that people have about a technical society telling people what to do. They just do bridges, engineers, they they work on structural systems, they don't tell you what to do or what to eat. Nutritionists advise you as to what to eat, but they don't order you to eat that. They merely advise you. Yep, and that's and you're still free to make whatever decision you want, but it's kind of a matter of making educated decisions as opposed to just kind of making decisions on a whim. Well, if you live in a wooden house, it's subject to termites, fire, all that. If you live in a concrete house, you don't need fire insurance, and you don't have termite problems. And concrete gets stronger with age. But in the future, we might use composite materials. You know what I mean? That have many wonderful characteristics. Now, it isn't Fresco that makes that decision. It's material research that gives us the advice as to how long that material will last and whether it's good in salt air. All that has to be researched. All you get from the technicians is the results of their research. They don't tell you how to live or how to raise your family. I don't know where people get these ideas. Well, I think that it's people are we, we get two different kinds of people in this world. The people who are accustomed to being, you know, people being in charge and the people who are almost oversensitive and uh paranoid about anybody ever being in charge. And you know, so it's either people who are addicted to authority and other people thinking for them or people who are overreacting to it to the point that they can't even accept that anybody might ever tell them anything to do ever. Uh, and <laughs> even if they wanted to play golf, they seek, seek out a golf instructor who tells them how to hold the various golf clubs and how to swing them. They always seek help 
or they'll get baby food and then they'll consult with a doctor that has gathered a lot of experience on feeding children. They don't. You can ask your neighbor, you may get some advice, but if you ask a person that does a study of that, you're more apt to get useful advice. So now I guess we could segue into uh, some of the other questions that we had here. Um, Neil, do you feel I've answered that? Actually, no, I, I think you have. Um, okay. We uh, can go on then to the next. Sure. No. Yeah. Absolutely. That's actually one of the reasons why you were, you know you were very lucid about it. No problems here. Um, now, I guess the we were emphasizing a little bit. We we actually already covered this, but it's listed here again in the questions. And this has to do with the uh, the concept of the scientific method. We went over that. Um, I guess uh, let me open the floor a little bit to discussions about the Venus Project uh, activist organization and uh, let you guys comment on that and talk about how people can get involved, how it's coming together. Well, it's coming really well, and we are still new at it as well. But on our website, under Get Involved, you can check out Global Activism. And we're expanding on all this within a new website that we're going to have up hopefully within about a week. A lot of this will be clearer. Um, on, on the, um, we, we have a lot of things that people can, can join, not just activism, but you can join different groups that we have, um, such as marketing group, the media group, the writing teams. Um, we're doing study groups on the internet. Uh, as I, well, we're, we have the linguistics team. We're, we're developing people who are getting funding. We really can't do much without funding. Um, and then the TVP design teams. Uh, we're going to be incorporating the design website into our website, into the Venus Project website. It's going to kind of be one master website, and you can easily go to the Venus Project Expression team as well from there, and the Activist Team website. We'll have our own website for the Activist Team. The Venus Project Expressions, we're getting a lot of great people doing media and music and writers and painters, artists, digital, digital artists, um, matte painters, filmmakers. Okay, so back to the Venus Project Design Team. We're going to be taking on a lot of new projects with that. One is we're going to be developing more detailed, one of Jacques City designs. We're going to be accessing the 1,200 professional database that we have. Professional, the, the professional database, we're going to be accessing a lot of the people there, the engineers and the architects and the uh, CAD people to start doing more detailed projects on Jacques' designs, and that includes the cities. We're going to have a 3D production team. We're going to be doing a game that we're developing. We've got some really good people on board for that, if anybody would like to help with that, with artists or music and um, game designers. We have a, a head person for that who's been in the field a long time, really terrific. And um, a lot of these different teams and are going to be overlapping and working with one another, you know, like the animators and the gamers. And, the, and we have um, technical infrastructure analysis, design and implementation. We have software people who are getting on board and helping us with um, more projects regarding the city and web developers. 
So we're doing a lot of things, and I'd encourage people to go to the site, and especially go to the site within a week or so and, and check out the new site. It's got a lot of great things on there. We're going to have a university course on there as well that will probably be coming on a little bit after the site is up. There's a new children's book written on the Venus Project by Pat McCord. It's really inspirational, geared towards about 8 years old to 14, but it, I think it's a terrific book for any age. Um, you can find that on there as well. And we're just working a lot, a lot of new things. And, it, and we also have the activist teams throughout the world who are going to be using the different things that the, the expressions teams does and the, the, with the writing team writing up different PowerPoints and lectures and sharing it with other people. And of course, I mentioned we have study, study guides and study teams with on, on the website as well, reading the different materials and listening to the different materials that we're putting out, learning about the Venus Project in this direction, and then applying that knowledge that's awesome. Um, it's good to see that you guys are bringing all of that together. Uh, is there anything that you guys are looking for specifically now so far as you know, people who can help you? Is there anything that is lacking right now, any kind of expertise that you're looking for? Well, any, yeah, we, we need more CAD drawers, architectural CAD drawers. Um, although we have a lot of them, we're going to start, we're going to start accessing them soon. Uh, we, we need, in all those different groups, we're developing those different teams, so we always need people to sign up on all the different teams. We'd ask people to go to get involved in global activism and check out what we're doing. And as I said, it'll again, it'll be more extensive on the um, on the new site as well. Excellent, excellent. Um, I guess uh, I've been but going back to now. Oh, this is actually a, a question that we hadn't covered. In regards to Brigitte's perception of large technologically advanced city design, I think she was concerned about nature um, in regards to, like, you know, making sure that the that the earth is taken care of and not over, uh, you know, building, like, I guess. And I, I, I had tried to bring up that that was a misconception, and I think that I, I nailed that point home. But we wanted to give Jacques an opportunity to talk about what the state of the planet will be outside of the outside of the cities and how we'll be taking care of the earth. Well, Neil, we will ask other nations to join with us. And uh, once let, let's assume that we get into Brazil and Brazil wants to go along with the Venus Project. I will have them organize all the Spanish nations connected with them and become one nation. And then gradually bring as many people, as many different countries as we can together in one system although there may be many countries that will not want to join us. But I feel eventually they will see the advantages of, of a, a unified world system. There's no military needs. There's no reason to invade another country and take their resources. You know what it's all about. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. And once you make that available, you won't have territorial problems. Neil was asking about the environment within the, the city structures, uh, preserving the environment. Well, the new environment, the round cities that we designed, yes, they will be the new environment. We will, in leveling some of the old cities, 
maintain certain areas to show children of the future what cities used to be like. But other than that, they're too inefficient to use. They're very inefficient. If you have to keep digging underneath the cities for new installations and all that sort of thing, and every building is a different size and a different width, uh, you're, you're literally building chaos and wasting energy, electrical energy, and the time of human beings in maintaining old structures. You know, the cities that Jack designs has very little to do with the cities and the, the projections of cities in the future that people have today that they're worried about and how technology is used. They think of some metropolis where all stainless steel and glass or, or no nature in there. This is quite the opposite from what Jacques designs. The cities would be immersed in fantastic lush gardens actually. And technology in a resource-based economy would be for the benefit of people uh, today, people have tremendous fear about technology because it's it's used to abuse people. It puts people out of work. It it bombs people. It destroys cities. You know, it, it's used really in detrimental ways. And but in the future, technology would be used to enhance people's lives. It would shorten the workday while giving you the benefits for all, of all that technology can bring you. It wouldn't limit access to resources. It would increase it and make your standard of living higher. I really believe this, Neil, that the wealthiest person today would live better in the Venus Project than they do today. An example of that is the middle-class American. He has cell phones, air conditioning in his car. No king ever had that. So we live in many ways better than kings. Well, um, I think another one of the focuses about this question, Jacques, is about how uh, the rest of the world will get to go back to nature in an untouched form. Um, you know, removing zoos, for example, uh, having more like observatories where we can watch nature in its natural habitat and about how the rest of the earth will be free to go back to a, a non-industrialized state. Well, you know, the cities in the sea that Jacques designs are not just fantastic places to live, but they're, they're for cleaning up the environment and the toxic waste that we've dumped in the oceans and to maintain pristine environments. It's going to be the main job in the future to clean up the mess we've done today. What our society has done for radioactive material, the U.S. Army dumped 75 tons of nerve gas into the ocean near the Gulf Stream off the coast of Miami. So how can these people love the country? Soldiers are really killing machines. I've always said that, Neil. They should be become problem solvers go back to school. After all, the only thing we have is problems. And if we learn to solve problems, then we can build a world that's safer, saner, and healthier. We'd be addressing our problems directly instead of indirectly and mm -hmm. just doing things that bring a buck. And there'd be no taxation and no money. Money corrupts people. Even the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So if we get rid of money and just make things available, like the public library, I want to repeat that. You can go to the library and check out any book 
next door to the library, we've got a camera center where you can check out any type of camera. Next door to that, we have musical instruments where they're always available. When you make all things available, that's the end of most crimes. That's actually a, a good point. It segues into the other question that we were talking about is that uh, I know that you felt that Brigida was kind of uh, projecting what she would understand to be a fear of technology. And Roxanne, you pointed out that you wanted to mention that technology would be completely different and that the reasons that we mistrust technology in this current society would be completely irrelevant in a resource-based economy because technology would be designed to facilitate the betterment of people, not the betterment of profits. Do you want to comment on that? Well, you stated it very well. You know, and, and I also want to make it, make, make it clear that it's not only technology that would be working for you, but everyone would be educated and, being, and be participant, participatory people in the environment. So whatever they're working on is to improve your lives. So you would want to see people, everybody you come across with would be extensional to you because they're improving the lives of, of yourself and other people. And whatever they do would go right into the environment without having to go through patents or marketing or, you know, sometimes when you make a product, it could be a very good product, but it's, it's squelched from getting onto the market or if you don't have the marketing savvy to get it on, it could be totally lost. And it takes so many years to get things on the market. So, you know, you have all these things stopping you. So in the future, the things that people make will go right into the environment to improve conditions that people live under. Another thing I'd like to say, Neil, is for every Tesla that we found, I wonder how many Teslas are lost and never get out there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. How come we only have one Edison, one Tesla, one Michelangelo, we would have thousands of them in the same society. That's actually, you know, it's something, and that brings us, uh, ironically, segues into another question, was that we were going to emphasize a little bit about early education. And when you bring up Thomas Edison, uh, he actually was homeschooled because he had a learning disability. He was very dyslexic, and back in those days, they didn't even know what that was, so they assumed he was stupid, so they just humiliated him all the time. His mother got sick of it, so he took, so she took him home and educated him at home. If he had been left in what was even public education in those days, we wouldn't have had a Thomas Edison. Um, and it, we want to emphasize on the fact that there's that there's something that I think actually that I've learned from reading your book, Best Money Can't Buy, about education, particularly when it comes to uh, the young, is that when we were young, we all have an inquisitive nature. We want to learn. Um, we are interested in learning things, and it just kind of gets beaten out of us in many different ways. Like I've I've seen it in my own children, for example. Uh, I don't expose my children to uh, to advertising, um, and they generally are content with watching educational programs because I don't show them garbage television in the first place. They're not interested in that other stuff because they they don't even perceive that that's how anybody should. Um, you know, even think, I guess would be the way to put it. For a couple of times I had a babysitter and she let my kids watch, you know, a, a different channel that had commercials. And then I had my kids barraging me with their desires for these toys and stuff like that, that they had never done before. It's, it's like, it's a completely different world when people are raised outside of a materialistic view, when there is, you know, no profit and, and, uh, and nobody trying to brainwash your kids to be consumers Instead, you're raising your children to be thinkers. 
Yes, that's true. And you have no Mickey Mouse clubs either in the future. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on Disney. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's it we end up they end up wasting their energy on so many things. And don't get me wrong, it, it's okay for kids to have fun, but like there are a lot of toys, for example, that I play with with my kids that have educational value that are still quite fun. Um, they've got kits to help teach your kids how to build little robotic insects. You know, my kids are just wild about that. They're not even that old. You know, they're they're young children and they're interested in this. They're interested in um, uh, we have like Capsella, which is a building set that lets you build, you know, uh, little cars and stuff. And it makes them innovative and thinking along that line rather than, you know, well, I want the next Pokemon or I need to have the next dollhouse or whatever. Yes. Well, Neil, we also try to teach our kids to be, well, they tell you to teach your kids to be honest. So when kids say to you, Daddy, where do babies come from? The stork brings them. That's lie number one. Two, how does Santa Claus get down the chimney to bring all those toys? In other words, we lie about Santa Claus, we lie about babies, we lie to our kids because we think they can't understand that. Then you suddenly want them to turn around and become honest? How do you do that? I agree with you completely on that. And I, I in my own children raising, for example, I do not show them any of the super, like, I don't teach them about the tooth fairy they don't know about Santa Claus. They don't know about the Easter Bunny. You know, none of that nonsense. I mean, I buy them gifts because I want to buy them gifts. I don't need any special uh, occasions to do that, you know, and it, it definitely changes. I notice when I compare, when they're hanging out with other children, their their motives are totally different. I'm sorry for interrupting, Roxanne. Go ahead. No, that's, uh, that's okay. I was going to comment on those stories you don't have kids see, you know, all those romantic nursery stories and those stories about animals and things that have that have personalities, you know, kids start to think that animals really can think about things and, and have different notions, and they have to unlearn all that garbage, and it really sets them up more towards a path of metaphysics. They don't have a grasp in reality, and kids from a very early age find it just as interesting learning things that are real in the real, in the real world, learning about nature and learning about mechanics, as you say, and other things, and you, you can really set them off in a good start that way. Yep, that's very true. Um, you want to comment a little bit, Jock, on early education and a better way to raise your children as far as to get them to be thinking? Yes, the first thing we have to do is develop a language that's not subject to interpretation. When you read the Bible, people come off with different concepts, even though the same words, they read the same words. That's why you have the Lutheran, the Seventh-day Adventist, the Catholic, the Protestant, because it's subject to interpretation. Our everyday language makes it impossible for us to talk to one another. We talk at each other, and we don't understand why we have so much confusion. So you have conflict resolution, you have psychologists which help people. They don't really help people. They try to adjust you to this system. They have to be aberrated to adjust you to this system. And that's, you know, it's interesting that uh, how we, you know, people don't recognize, you know, because when they, they look at the th the concepts of human nature, of well, people will do this or people won't do that, you know, um, they don't look at the fact that it really is conditioning. 
you know, because you see it already. And also just in like performance, you know, homeschooled children, for example, do better in the spelling bees universally, uh, you know, at, at almost every time. And it's because of the different environment that they're in. You know, you go to a public school and you spend the entire time being picked on by other kids. You end up being really worried about what clothing you're wearing and, you know, what toys you have or what music you're listening to. And it's it's not just, be, you know, it's they're very cruel to you if you don't play that game. I, I mean, I know you know all about that. Like, you didn't fit into that environment at all when you were a, you were a kid. And that's it, it made things hard for you. But it's a good thing you didn't fit in because, you know, you'd just be another cog in the system. And that seems to be what the system wants to create. And that's one of the reasons why I tell people to protect freedom. The best way is education. Yes, as long as you tell them how, that's great. Absolutely. Do you have other questions? I'd rather answer questions if I can. Sure. Um, well, we, we commented a little bit. Actually, all of these questions that are here, I'll go into the chat room and ask some as well. Um, I guess while I'm doing that, do you guys, uh, how is the movie coming? you want to shed any light on that? Well, it's coming okay. We're working on scripts in certain areas with that, but we're mainly working on getting contacts. And we have several things coming up in regards to that. Um, sometimes it's more delayed than we wish, but uh, the funding that we're getting too is going to go towards a script writer and budget and things like that. But things are moving along all right. We're making some progress with those things. Okay. Um, is is that also what you guys are looking for the, the CAD people for, is for the film? or? Well, there could be some overlaps in that, but no. The CAD people are for doing more detailed drawings of Jacques' designs for a first city. We want to get quotes on a first city, and we need CAD people in particular detailed drawings. We have some, but we're updating. We, I mean, he has so many different designs for cities, but we're picking a new one now to get more detailed drawings. That's and we're actually working on that. Yeah. Now, uh, a question from Joe Park in the chat room. Uh, can you ask for more details about the Venus Project game Roxanne mentioned earlier? Well... It's going to be about the Venus Project. I can't give you more details on it right now. There's going to be lots of animation. There, it's it's going to be a serious game. Um, and I, I, at this point, I can't really talk about it much more. But it's something that we're working on with the anima animators as well. Oh, okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. I can understand. Um, <laughs> I'm actually involved in some beta testing myself, so I know that you got to be hush-hush about it until you really have a strong you know, core on it. But um, in any case, uh, there are people actually asking now, they're asking where they can learn, you know, a place to learn CAD so that they can help you more. Um, I'm just going to tell them. That's great. On our new website, we're going to have the tools that people can use to learn the uh, and participate in the different teams that we need skilled people in. And we do need skilled people for all those teams, but we're giving them the resources to learn it too. Please check back in a week, hopefully not two weeks, but hopefully we're going to get it up on a week and we'll have all those things up there. All right, excellent. Um, I guess uh, I'm trying to think of then. It's like I'm surprised, actually. You guys have been uh, – normally I'm a custom jock. You give really long answers, so <laughs> I didn't bring as many questions this time. But I, I'm asking the chat room people for uh, you know for further questions. And in the meantime, um, is there anything that you feel uh, you typically – 
ask frequently get asked frequently about the Venus Project. You know, something that would go in your FAQ. Like, what is, would you say is a question that you get that is highly common? Well, that would be who makes the decisions and by what authority. And we covered uh, that one. And uh, so I would say that is the most difficult thing for normal people. Who makes the decisions? The answer is no one makes decisions. They arrive at them. Now, let me tell you what that means. If you design a steel beam, we don't know what its strength is like, so we put it in the machine and we test its we test its torsional ability to to resist torsion. We test its tensile strength, its compression strength, and then we report on it. So people don't make decisions; they arrive at them. And the only way you can do that is when they finish an airplane, the first airplane, they put it through a test. They dive it and pull out of that dive so it exerts a force of nine gravities on the pilot to see if the wings hold up. I love that system because it's free of bias, it's free of opinions, it's based upon findings. And I think that the future will have very, very little opinions about anything. When somebody asks you, do you think we'll ever get to Mars? The proper answer is, I don't know anything about rockets. I know nothing about space travel. I can't answer that. I don't know. That's the most difficult thing for people to say. I don't know. Yes, and I think that's because, I mean, when you look at it, that's another thing about public education. You know, if you look foolish at any time, you're punished for it by that society. You know, within the school, you're laughed at. You know, it it really does not facilitate, you know, wanting to learn. It facilitates wanting just to stay, you know, to stay quiet because you don't want to take the chance that you'll be humiliated. It's so backwards. Um, now, I have somebody in the chat room is asking about the use of drugs in the resource-based economy. Um, he wants to know if he'll be free to, you know, uh, use whatever recreational drugs that he wants. Well... When we raise children in the future, they won't want drugs. But the transition will be painful. The transition will make things available to people because of habits that are established that may ease the pain somewhat. So during the transition, we'll have a wider range after the children are educated to be able to answer questions themselves rather than go up to an authority and say what what how did this originate or what makes this happen or how does water evaporate they will have access to information the transition is the time when people of an older value system are exposed to a newer value system they can't make the adjustments right away that's what i mean by painful so, but as you pointed out, they'll be free to use these things in the beginning. But the Venus Project is is confident that the use of drugs will kind of fade away as the yes. the diseases of society go away. Try not to force anything on people. Give them the background to help them understand the effects of smoking. Smoking always, not in some cases. If you live long enough, fifteen to twenty years, some form of cancer. Cigarettes, hot dogs, frankfurters are responsible for many malignant growths. 
But those things don't make it on the market. They don't come off on NBC and CBS because they're owned by various corporations and they don't try to outdo themselves. You know, there are reasons in this culture why people do drugs. The system is so abusive and so harmful to people. It's so painful and so much struggle trying to get get through the society and feed yourself and feed your family and make payments and and carry on between people even, you know, relationships, whether it's just personal or just relationships with on an everyday basis. So drugs in a lot of ways eases the pain of that. I don't think in the future people will have that need to do that. I think they'll find that it hinders their ability to do things and life would be so exciting that they wouldn't need drugs. The alternatives would be enormous. People who have so many different choices and so many different places to go and so many things to do. You'll have art centers, music centers, cultural centers, and where people will be busy instead of kids hanging out in malls because they have no place to go. We will make things available to people. It's a different kind of society, and it's very difficult to describe to the average person a free society because they don't even know what that means. And people would also have the tools mentally so they don't struggle with things, they don't struggle with relationships and and their position in society. So they'd know how to find answers to things, they'd know where to look when they're having problems. And they were not so dependent on other people that may or may not give them appropriate answers to things. That's actually a really important point about developing critical and analytical thinking skills at the earliest stages of life being something that's highly required to a free society. Um, yeah, as you pointed out, you know, it, it's about people being able to think for themselves in a way that they can't right now. I usually point out that that's actually the best way uh, to deal with any kind of fascism or any attempts by any, you know, evil group to take over whatever, you know, uh, paranoia people might have. Uh, the fact that in World War II, the reason the Nazis were able to take over as easily as they were is that people were not educated, were not really uh, raised to think for themselves. No, they're not. They're raised to be uniform. That's the best way you can control people. If you make them alike, you can control them. If they're brought up to, be, to think freely, you can't control people. Yeah, really, people say that Hitler swayed the people of Nazi Germany, but they would have had to have had those certain values and, the, and like you said, not be able to critically look at society in order to be swayed by somebody like that. Well, it also helped that, once again, we come back to environment. Um, it was much easier to convince those people to be angry and, and look at other people for the sources because their economy was destroyed. And it was much easier to, you know, to, to play the blame game when they were, they were, were going to be in a position to be receptive to that message. The proof that we're not educated to what you call think uh, is if a group of, of Afro-Americans went to a Ku Klux Klan meeting and tried to share ideas, it would not work at all. That's why communication is a myth. You can't communicate with people unless they understand a wide variety of subjects. The Jews, if they went to a Nazi meeting and tried to raise money for the B'nai Abrib, it wouldn't work. 
And that actually you know, that plays into the your own experiences with changing people and being able to appeal to them in their you know on their own value structure in order to be able to teach them like the story you had about the Ku Klux Klan or the story about the Arabic person that you convinced that the world wasn't flat. And it's it's true of a lot of things. Actually, there was something else that people were pointing out. There was there was a somebody mentioning in the chat room here about how in Arabic cultures it's very patriarchal. You know, how would we treat something like that in a resource based economy? Well, you you got so many things that people have to undo. There's so much learning that they get that's totally unrelated to living the good life. They don't even know how to relate to each other or how to communicate with each other. Actually, uh, they have people that say, let us sit and reason together. You can't reason with a person that doesn't know what that means. Right. That's very true. Um, and if they're in that state, then you have to find ways to kind of evade their uh, their defenses, so to speak. Like the story with, that you were talking about in regards to your mother, you know, there, there were ways you had to reach her about your Japanese friend that just coming up directly at her of guns a-blazing would have never worked. You had to find a way to appeal to things that did matter to her to get her to see the other side. I understand where my mother was coming from. She meant well. She was not a bad person. She was misinformed about a lot of things. And that's the same with members of the Ku Klux Klan. They believe in things that, that, that make sense to them. They're not, they do not have access to people. Even when you tell them that some black people are geniuses in mathematics, in the arts, in creative writing, they say, well, that's because they have some white blood in them. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that, actually. Okay. So you can't reason with people that haven't, that don't even know how to use it, don't know how to use reason. So, no oh, go ahead. No, you're right. Um, they, they're not really given those basic tools. I mean, if we, when we talked about that when I visited the Venus Project, I remember talking about how my mother raised me and you had a big grin on your face saying that it was great that she gave me those tools because so many parents don't really do that. They're all about do what you're told. And, and then they wonder why their children are not capable when they get out into the real world. It isn't that they're bad. They just don't have the information. I knew a farmer that used to always take his belt off and spank his children to try to get them to behave a certain way. That was the best tools he had. He knew of no other tools. Nobody is good or bad. It depends on how they're raised. Now, moving on, I guess, and that's an excellent answer, by the way. Uh, this is kind of an interesting question, but and you and I have talked about this in the past, but what makes this is a bear with me what makes music better than other music what's the mechanism behind that so many people i feel are distracted by music um are because that it's that's all they worry about it starts becoming a negative thing i guess that could be applied to art as well um uh, the music industry is is so powerful over people's lives it's like what kind of music you listen to defines your culture um do you want to comment on that uh, yeah i remember my kids singing jingles about smoking cigarettes. If they listen to the radio, they begin to sing those jingles. Uh, music is neither good nor bad. It depends on how it's used. Right. And, um, well, I mean, I, we also talked about, as you pointed out, jingles. I mean, uh, music can have even a, a hypnotic or a, 
addictive effect. I, um, and I don't think people realize how powerful it can be, uh, particularly, I mean, uh, it, it, just in the basics of it, especially like one of the values that I was telling you about. I remember because I listened to different music in high school than the other kids did. That was a reason to attack me. Um, I don't. I think that uh, in a resource-based economy, when music can be done by people who love art, who are not interested in in money, uh, that you will actually get to see some truly epic music. We're already starting to see that thanks to the advent of the internet. Um, but uh, go ahead and, if you want to, go ahead and elaborate a little bit on how art and music will be in the resource-based economy. Well, we will study the effects of sound on the nervous system and then arrange sound in such a way as to produce a pleasing effect. And that's the only real scientific thing that music will undergo a severe change in the future. It'll be the effects of sound on the nervous system rather than somebody sitting at a piano composing sounds that he likes. And nobody really answered the question as to what is music. If a man came from Mars and he said to you, what is music? Well, the way they say it's a series of sounds so arranged as to produce a pleasing effect. So I asked the guy that wrote that whether he liked hard rock. He said no, then that description is not accurate. So we must really investigate music on a much wider scale than we do today. That's actually very insightful. And um, now to go back here, I guess we have more questions from the chat room. Um, people are discussing uh, the aspects of the spiritual. There are people that are asking if they're going to be free to be spiritual. And I know we've answered that question before, but, you know, somebody's listening, you know, now and it's really a concern of theirs. You know, what kind of, you know, does the Venus Project believe in the soul? You know, things along that line. Well, it doesn't matter what the Venus Project believes. If you believe in gods and demons, I would recommend that you read a book called The Demon Haunted World by Carl Sagan. After you read that book, if you still want to believe in demons and gods, that would be up to you. The Venus Project does not concern itself with things that are uh, not verifiable. That's. I think a Go lot ahead. of people who who really talk about spirituality they're they're displeased with the way the world is today and they hope within themselves that they can make a better world and i think they call this spiritual and whatever the definition of spiritual has so many different meanings you know it's something different to everybody that you talk to but I think that the Venus project is really trying to make it a reality it gives you a methodology of how to make a world the way that these people talk about a spiritual world would be. It's really a verbal game today when they talk about spirituality. They don't translate it so everybody can live that way that they're hoping for, that they're trying to achieve. And the Venus Project makes all these hopes and aspirations of spiritual people and highly philosophical people into a working reality. Yes, I would say it's the nearest thing to translating the good aspects of all religion into a way of life. So I would say it's the most spiritual thing that you could work towards. Now, I agree with you completely, and I, it causes me actually to think about it. It's actually, Jock, it's your teachings that turned me towards 
the concept of atheism, whether that was your goal or not, but a lot of it was just your different discussions about how people, rather than having real explanations for things, they get lazy and they just make up these crazy explanations, like the, the story about throwing the man in the volcano to stop the volcano from erupting, rather than really investigating the cause. Now, mind you, primitive man wasn't capable of that anyway, but you find yourself, you, you just assign so many things in your life to these supernatural things, rather than trying to find solutions for yourself. And whenever you do something good, you find yourself saying, oh, God gave it to me, you know, rather than you doing it. It's like sitting down at a table and praying, thank you for giving me this food, is silly when you're the one who worked and put the food on the table. But suppose you look at it this way. When the president said, God bless America, who the hell is he to tell the president, God, who to bless? Right. If God made everybody, you can't tell them who to bless. You know, it's amazing how simple people really are. They can't even talk to Einstein, and they think they talk to God. I've met so many people that tell me they've talked to God. I said, did you ever ask about cancer and heart disease? No. Well, what do you talk about then? Now, you can ask real questions. No, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that uh, religion and, and especially superstition has a tendency to put us in a position where rather than asking questions, we just kind of are inclined to say, well, God will provide rather than, you know, figuring out a real solution. And God is made in the image of man, a dummy like man who gets angry, punishes people. This isn't God. If you don't follow God's teachings, you burn eternally. This sounds more like a psychopath. That's absolutely correct, and it's it's funny when you try to confront them with it. it it's they you ask them to define for you why is it okay that you know did every firstborn child in Egypt deserve to die? You know every one of them, even the infants. You know the the babies in the care. You know in the baby carriages in the cribs. Did they deserve to die too? You know it's that's something that if we you know if we ever applied that same morality to man. We'd be like, uh, wow, you're crazy. No, I'm not interested in that. That's genocide. You know, But we, we don't think about it like that. And then you ask these people to think about it, and then it's, they're actually discouraged from thinking about it. They're like, well, I don't want to think about that. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to have faith. Right. And that's it's just that's one of the reasons we're so back bank you know basically so backwards. And then you make scientific innovations like the man who figured out that the Earth revolved around the sun – Rather than the other way around, well, then, you know, religion can't handle that, so they persecute him. You know, it's, it, it's changes its mind if it finds new information. Right. Religion does not. Now, we have another question here, and uh, I guess this one's kind of, we're getting some on the philosophical side now. Um, there are people who are commenting about different videos that they've seen you discussing the topic of love. What do you feel love is? And please comment on that. Well, what happened to love when the couple splits up? When the wife says, I want the house, the kids, and the car. What happened to love? I'm asking, what happened to love? There's no such thing as love. There only is extensionality. If you're extensional to a person, meaning if you enhance their lives, help them understand the world they live in, they'll want to be with you because you're very extensional to them. The word extensional will eventually replace the word love because nobody loves everything they've ever done in life. 
all of us have done stupid things. Even there's a point where Jesus said, he who is, who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So I'm saying that some verbal behavior is extensional. But if you're extensional to another person, meaning enhance their lives, give them more useful tools to think with, that's being extensional. That is real love. But the word love does not imply that. I think a good example you use that's really helpful for a lot of people, Jacques uses the story, you don't always love yourself all the time. Sometimes you get very disappointed in what you do. Sometimes you like certain things. Sometimes you don't. So when you meet somebody and you might marry them or become a partner, sometimes you love them. You think you love them a lot. Sometimes not so much. Sometimes you'll wonder, how the hell did I get into this? So it, it varies. And people are looking for a fixed thing called love. And they, they get very disappointed and very confused when they start thinking, well, do I love this person? Don't I love this person? In some ways you do, in some ways you don't. I think that's actually another very liberating thing that came about when I dumped a lot of superstition. I myself used to be a very romantically inclined person. I watched what people would call chick flicks. You know, I was really big on being the paladin and the knight in shining armor and, you know, being good to the ladies and all that. And I still do treat them with respect, but there were so many supernatural beliefs about love. Like you think it's this, this spiritual thing that's going to guaranteed to happen and it's always sent by some you know, metaphysical power trying to tell you you're meant to be with somebody, but unrequited love, when you love somebody who doesn't love you, or you're attracted to somebody who's not attracted to you, is one of the most painful and horrible things that can ever happen to a person. And it's just it, the notion that any kind of benevolent force decides to do that to somebody, people commit suicide over that. You yes. know, it's just, it's crazy. They just don't have the tools to answer a lot of questions. And, you know, going back to the fairy tales you get, the Cinderella's and, and all those kind of fairy tales, and the, the women especially grow up on these knight in shining armor person that's going to come along and take care of all their problems, and they have a lot of difficulties with that and, as they grow up. I think especially since the, the images of these people are generally like strong personalities, and, and you find like there's a there's a real problem I've noticed particularly is that the girls seem to be attracted to men who are assertive, and then it doesn't work out for them in the end because you know the assertive package comes with all kinds of other negative stuff that they didn't anticipate. Um, you know, just basically that the the whole attraction to bad boys and ironically nice guys finish last. You know, so it's just another reason. It's like you know you you find a woman and she desperately loves this man who's beating her up all the time. You know, how is that a benevolent force telling this woman I need to be with this man? There are women that are looking for the right person. You ever hear that? Yes. I'm looking for the right person for me. When you fall in love at 15, it's not like falling in love at 25. And at 30, you fall in love with different aspects because the concept keeps changing as you gain more experience. So if you marry when you're very young, you marry into a value system that you had when you were very young. Do you understand that? Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, that's all completely designed by your culture. Uh, you know, what people find to be a good mate is different also in the physical aspects. You know, like you pointed out that when you know, the people on those islands who didn't have any fetishes, 
you know, because of the fact that the whole there wasn't any specific areas that were uh, forbidden, so they weren't super secret and therefore not special. You know, Plus, they would swim nude when they were very young, mm-hmm. so everybody walked around nude, and there were no peeping toms on the island, no girly magazines, nobody clipped pictures of girls nude and hung it up on a wall because they were swimming nude ever since they were tots. And they never stared at any particular part of the body. They looked at the eyes of a female when they talked to a female. Now, when discussing also, I guess we were still talking about love. You know, I've talked to you guys about, you know, your relationship and also just the idea. I remember, Roxanne, you said to me, you know, do you share your values with this person? You know, being important. You know, that that's really the secret to a successful relationship. I mean, I think that you guys could be considered like a pinnacle example since you've been together, what, for like 40 years or something? And, you know, you don't need any supernatural beliefs to tell you, oh, we're meant to be together. You guys just have a lot of things in common and you're compatible, and that's why it's working. Do you want to comment a little bit on that? Yes, the things that you can't figure out, that's where science comes in and research. When you can't figure something out, just say, I don't know, until you're able to find out. In other words, when you suppose that the earth was created by a guy that lives up in the clouds, think about that. If you die, according to some religions, you have permanent life. You you never die again. Imagine being 4,000 years old, you wouldn't want to talk to anybody anymore because they can't say anything new. Think about that. You'd be bored as hell up in a land where you live would be 20,000 years old. Who who, who the hell are you going to talk to? What are you going to talk about? The concept is ridiculous. Yeah, you were... Neil was asking about our relationship, too, in terms of... um, yeah, it seems very unlikely. Yeah, it's, it's very extensional, as Jacques mentioned. We really work towards the same end goals. We're interested in the same direction, and we're both very high output in terms of working towards it. It's not just verbal. So um, we help one another in that way. And therefore, you know, you enjoy each other's company, and you can you can communicate with one another uh, in a meaningful ways, and that's the core of what a functional relationship is. I think, you know, people who think, well, I'm going to solve my relationship problems by just pretending everything's okay. Well, that doesn't work. You know, they think I'll solve my relationship problems by talking to the local minister or priest or priest who's then going to guilt trip you about how you're stuck with one another forever because you swore some oath to some invisible being, you know, and that might help for a while because you don't want to go to hell, but it doesn't actually fix the problems. You know, you have to take rational, I mean, even, well, I mean, scientific approaches even to things as simple as your relationships because it works a hell of a lot better than just any of the irrational means that people have tried to fix their relationships in the past. You know, if you're fighting about something, then obviously there needs to be a logical recourse. I think people allow their emotions to rule themselves too much in the topic that can actually be treated in a very practical way. Well, the thing that really turned me off religion was the fact that different countries go to war with each other and they all have churches and believe in God. It doesn't seem to stop people from killing each other. Do you understand? Yes. It doesn't stop people from misbehaving. It doesn't 
produce really more tolerance. It produces lip service to God where they talk about kindness and decency and ethics, but it's not manifest. In parks, you have statues of soldiers, warriors with guns. In front of schools, you have cannons. You would have statues of people like Louis Pasteur, Madame Curie, or Tesla in parks, not soldiers and warriors. I'm sorry to say this, but all soldiers have been misinformed. There are no bad people or evil people. There are people brought up to hate, just like soldiers. In the future, soldiers will become people who learn how to solve problems and learn how to bridge the difference between nations rather than killing. There'd be no Pentagon in Washington. There'd be a Pentagon of social sanity, how to bridge the difference between nations rather than killing one another. Now, there's an, this is a question, actually. I'm glad the person repeated it. Um, I'm going to try to be as clear here as possible because he's referring to something that even I can't explain. So uh, ask if Jock has heard of the law of attraction and other universal laws. If he has, does he agree with these teachings such as Abraham and Hicks lecture about? Well, attraction, if you were brought up by a community of people that were the pygmies, the people would be beautiful to you. If you were brought up in Africa, Afro people would be beautiful to you. But if you grew up in a world where they pitch the white folks, did you know that more black children pick white dolls than black dolls because of environments? Think about that. If you don't think about it, nothing will happen. Why do black children pick white dolls? Because they're given more importance in our movies, our soap operas, and everything else. I don't know if he means the law of attraction between people. I don't know what he's referring to with those people. I don't. I haven't done reading on that, those lectures. But you know, you're given even a, a certain configuration this, in this culture in terms of what's handsome, what's beautiful, and people are more attracted to those configurations, whatever they are. They change from year to year. So if you end up having a relationship with somebody you think is very admirable and the, they're very, whatever they consider handsome or beautiful, and that person is mean to you, after a while that configuration becomes ugly to you. And the next time you see a person like that, you'd shy away. So you're, what you're attracted to is essentially from conditioning and then from the environment, your own experiences that you've gone through, associative memory to certain things. You know, I think if everybody in America, deal had a nose two feet long, you'd have surgery done. Right. You'd make your nose longer. In other words, if everybody had a nose two feet long and a pointed head, you'd have your head pointed, too, if you were born with a round top. Now, to further emphasize what you're saying about the, the, black, the black children picking the white dolls, I remember seeing studies about that, and in, in some cultures I've seen the reverse. My younger sister was raised in the, you know, basically in the ghetto. We lived in some really bad neighborhoods, and that culture, in that culture specifically, black and Hispanic boys were considered superior she flat out told me one day she would never date a white boy because of that. Um, and it it was 
kind of disturbing. I mean, I didn't, I don't have a problem with interracial marriage. It was that it was so clear that she was just, it was a status symbol issue. To date a white boy was considered in some fashion inferior. And it was all based on the musical culture that goes along with hip hop. And there's a lot of money wrapped up in that. There's a lot of uh, materialism wrapped in that, that the style of that, you know, the expensive clothing that they wear and, and the way that they value somebody based on it. You know, you got to wear a $300 jacket to be considered a human being in that culture. If you have trouble understanding that, just picture different cultures where you have different people that uphold different values. And if you live, if you, if you don't understand that, this will give you an instant understanding. If you took your grandmother to Miami Beach and she sees the girls walking around with their butts hanging out, she might say they've gone too far. And where <laughs> she's coming from, that seems right. Do you see what I mean? That's what I mean by this. No such thing as right or wrong. All that's invented by culture. All your notions of good and bad, right and wrong, all that, all that's invented by your culture to control you. Absolutely. I, I remember actually talking to an Arabic man about that because he was on a, a website debating with, he was an, he's a Muslim and he was debating with some Christians and um, there were actually some Muslim girls that were also involved in the conversation. And, you know, they were, he was trying to make them understand that, you know, it would be like, for example, uh, what they were trying to infer on other people was to say, well, it's unusual to you that in our culture, women cover themselves up, but you're kind of acting as though they don't have the right to, to behave that way. It would be like people from the Amazon telling the women in the United States that they're wearing too much clothing, <laughs> you know, that it's as if it's, it, they don't understand the nature of it, that it's all cultural. Neil, when the missionaries came over to the islands, they tried to get the girls to wear a T-shirt because they didn't want them with their bare breasts hanging out. So the girls cut two holes in the T-shirt because they were uncomfortable. Can you understand that? Yes, absolutely. Um, now... We were talking a little bit about, you know, we talked about some of the issues of uh, society. We talked about um, a lot of cultural issues in regards to attraction and other values. Um, now, we're also talking, of, you know, there's some now a question about lodge ban, which I guess is a, a proposed new language to remove ambiguity, ambiguities. I know, like, you know, you recommend the tyranny of words to people. Um, talk a little bit about the importance of one language that we can all use that eliminates a lot of the the miscommunications that we see? Well, the more you read on semantics and communication, the more you will learn about it. There are languages that are not subject to interpretation. Chemistry. When a chemist writes a formula, no matter what country he sends it to, if he sends it to another chemist, they turn out the same product. Mathematics is not subject to interpretation. Chemist engineering. When engineers talk to each other, they talk of torsional strength, tension strength. They talk about the characteristics of the metal they're working with. Their language is not subject to interpretation. Absolutely. Um, and that's, it's, you know, it's, the funny thing is, is that like even in this chat room as we speak, you know, there were people who said, you know, will there be spirituality in the Venus Project? I just spent like a half hour trying to communicate with the person who wants that question answered. But what do you mean by spirituality? I could say to Jock, what do you think about spirituality? But spirituality means a different thing to every person I talk to. You know, so it's like I'm trying to frame the question in a way that's going to get them the information that they want. 
in order for me to do all of that, I got to go through all this crap to figure out what he even means when he's asking the question. And I, I hope that they're patient with me and they understand that I'm just trying to help them. But to ask like an open-ended question like that about a word that means so many different things to so many people. And that's the reason for the, the need to understand semantics. Go ahead. That's the trouble with the word love. When a girl says, I'm in love, what is it that you that you have this love for? What is it? Well, he's very nice. What does that mean exactly? Very nice. Does he help old ladies across the street? Does he share his wealth? Does he refuse to kill in the army? What do you mean by love? Do you try that? Try asking people what they mean when they use certain words. You'll find out that it's subject to interpretation. Well, absolutely. Uh, kids who come from abusive homes, ideas of what love is, is completely messed up compared to what you know, the rest of society would say. You know, uh, my ex-wife had a horrible childhood, and as a result, her whole concept of what affection, uh, love, and trust is is completely different than other people, and it made it very difficult for her in her life. Um, just as an example, there are people like that all over the world. You know, it's uh, and to what love means in one culture is different than in another. What is expected of somebody when they love someone is different than one culture than it is in another. Um, exactly, uh, Joe. I mean. Yeah. What what happens with people is they read uh, different Bibles and they have different reactions to similar conditions. That's a major problem. That that our language is subject to interpretation. That's a major problem, Neil. Mm -hmm. If you can devise, which they will have to in the future, devise a language. That's not subject to interpretation. And what we mean by spiritual is to enable to design and build a society that where there is no more hunger, there is no more fear of losing your job, there is no more fear of war and poverty and being abused and put into prison, there is no more crime, that's right, no more racism, and there is no pollution. There is nobody trying to sell you things. There's nobody dumping toxic waste in your food or in the air or in your water to make a buck. You know, you'd really have to define your terms in terms of what is spirituality, where people are working toward the betterment of everyone. There's no elitism, because the causes of elitism are removed from the society's structure. You know, that's actually, a, it's interesting, you know, you, you dip a little bit into the way that uh, religion and, the, and the, uh, the issues about that work up. I've been watching a TV show called The Tudors recently, and it's about a part of a British history where the king was going through all this crap just to get a divorce. And he had to get permission from this special guy called the Pope, you know, in order to be able to get a divorce. And there was so much garbage that went on because of this. You know, people were assassinating each other. They were fighting over this. Because it was so important that this king got permission from this other guy to, do, you know, to find a different wife, you know, and it's it, when you look at things differently, you know, it's like if I had watched that movie, say, seven years ago, you know, I'd have a completely different impression of it than the one I do now, you know, to now I just it, it actually gets frustrating to watch stuff like that because you're just like, geez, really? You know, you're going through all this crap about this, these made up rules that you made for yourself. You know, it's just it's it's. 
no wonder at all, with all the energy that we waste on doing stuff like this, why mankind is in the messed up state that it's in. Well, Neil, think about this. When you think about it, when you open the Bible, it says, thou shalt not kill. It doesn't you can kill Wednesday and Thursdays. It says, thou shalt not kill. It says, love your enemy. When a man strikes you, turn the other cheek. No soldier who believed in God would go to war if he understood his own Bible. He yep. doesn't understand it. And it also says in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that others may not perish, but have eternal life. Well, look, the witnesses in the Bible say Jesus was crucified. He arose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Where's the sacrifice? That's actually an interesting point um, that was brought up recently by a, a fellow who's a friend of mine. He makes good videos. He's going to be helping with my documentary about Internet trolls. Uh, his name is Aaron, and he made a video about religion. And he said he starts it off by saying, now, imagine that, the, you know, you were with the guy and, you know, he has a lot of power over you. And, and he says to you, I want to be sure that you love me. So I want you to take your son and stab him to death, you know. Um, yeah. And and that's supposed to be a being that loves you. You know, to test your love for me, I'm going to tell you to go stab your son to death. Now, he eventually, you know, sends an angel. <laughs> this is where you realize who you're talking about. You know, sends an angel say, oh, no, 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 don't stab him to death. I, I was just checking. You know, <laughs> imagine, you know, that in any context outside of religion. It, it amazes me how much people are willing to, to, to hinder their brains <laughs> about this topic. I don't understand what they're reading. They don't understand the Bible. That's why you have the Lutheran, the Seventh-day Adventist, the Catholic, the Jumpers for Jesus, because they don't interpret it the same way. You know, you've got all those people who are living very, very old lives. They're living the lives of their great-great-great-great-grandparents, and the values haven't changed much. And they're being confronted with a world that is changing tremendously technologically, and they're they're running into tremendous problems, but they're, it's like they're not living their own lives. They're living lives that people have given them centuries ago. Not only that, do you remember the old open o sesame where the guy would have a door open by declaring open sesame? Well, at any shopping center today, you don't have to say open sesame. The door opens as you carry a package nearby. Now, this is actually a, another question here. Uh, how would the RBE, you know, basically resource-based economy, conditioning, and education generate an environment that would increase positive experiences? Well, you have to do that in school. You get the kids when they're very young, and you teach them how to handle problems of envy, jealousy, anger when they're very young. You go to work on them, so you don't have those problems. And a lot of the stresses that you have in life due to the money problems would not be there. You have things accessible to you, so you can first, for the first time, begin to do the things you want to do. Everything from your home to your food to your medical care, all free, because we have the technology to do that today. I think, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, I don't think people really realize how much it impacts them. You know, uh, because of my own financial situation, I'm I'm frequently bouncing on the top of poverty. 
And as a result, every month, you know, I go through a period of apprehension and dread and stress, and it impacts my ability to enjoy life at all. You know, because I'm like, wow, am I going to be able to pay the bills next month? Am I going to be keep my house next month? Are they going to foreclose on me? Am I going to lose my children? You know, people don't recognize that it's the system itself that creates so many of their own neuroses and, and, you know, uh, emotional problems. Uh, And and it affects you in ways that you may not realize. Maybe because of that stress, you in turn might be mean to somebody who's important to you in your life as a reaction to it. And then you destroy your relationship with that person. Uh, Maybe you take it out on your children. Maybe, you know, there's so many different ways that this happens. Go ahead, Jock. That's it. It's environment that shapes those things. And if you don't know that, get out any elementary book on psychology you can see the effects of environment. If you still don't understand that, <clears throat> if you were raised in Germany as a baby, if you never saw anything else, you'd be a Nazi. If you were raised in Japan, you'd put your hands in your sleeves and you'd bow if that's where you were raised. You reflect your culture. If you don't understand that, think of every word your mother told you. Glass, roof, light, car- carpet, door. Toilet bowl, sink, every word you use, you've been given. You don't have any free choice. Every book you read, every movie you see influences your behavior. The role models that you admire influence your behavior. Now, you know, in ancient Rome, they would feed Christians to lions. You consider that absurd. In some Spanish countries, they put a bull in the street and people, the bull runs in the people down the street. You wouldn't endorse that if you're brought up outside of that country. So we go to watch prize fights. We think that's good. In the future, it'd be considered aberrant behavior to want to watch two men punch each other. I know you brought up to it, so it seems normal to you. What seems normal is aberrant. The Supreme Court judges, to me, would be criminals in the future. I also want to mention too that the stresses that the poor have that you talk about, the wealthy really can't relate to that. They haven't experienced that kind of thing. And then you get the values in, in the books that to prop up this monetary system where they put the blame on the individual and they get the people don't understand it's the system that creates the poverty and, and the the booms and the busts in society and and so the values get skewered to support the system that you're in and to support the wealthy that are controlling the system. And they it's, blame the individual and people blame themselves. They don't understand. That's actually something that uh, when there was somebody who was giving a, uh, a lecture once and one of the people who was a humanist talked about this was that, you know, it's hard to, you know, to convince people that they don't understand because they've been sold the idea that the American dream that everybody has the chance to succeed is real, and it's it to me after looking at it, it's 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 like Santa Claus. I mean, <laughs> you're about as likely to, uh, you know, to you know become rich as anyone else, you know, as everyone else. It's like winning the lottery. You know, the chances are so rare. You know, most people work hard all their lives and are still just as poor as they were when they started. There are exceptions, but in comparison to the amount of people that are on the bottom who are forever convinced that the system is just fine because, after all, the people on the top had all the same chances they did, which is generally not true at all. 
you know, um, it's it's amazing how people delude themselves into thinking that the whole thing is just fine. You know, uh, it, that it's it, like you said, Jock. You know, you learned about all of this watching the Great Depression unfold, and it generally takes situations like that to get people to shake out of the delusion that the world is fine the way it is. Yes, I don't want them to go through hell. I don't want people to suffer, but it doesn't seem that they learn anything except by being hurt. If conditions become so oppressive, a revolution will occur. People will break windows and take food if you don't give them food stamps. Don't you see that? Mm -hmm. The conditions that people are raised in sets their values. That's very true. Um, especially, you know, when we talk about... Uh, you, we've discussed, man. We've we've covered so many good topics today. Um, uh, in regards to the, we, we were talking earlier, also like you said about soldiers, about war. You know, people don't recognize it's like actually, actually, it was something that clicked in my head. Was you pointed out, there's all these religions, and it doesn't stop people from killing each other. The funny thing is, not it only it doesn't even stop them from killing each other when their religions say that killing is wrong. You know, you get mass murders done by Christians who are told to do unto others as they would have them do unto you. You know, you get suicide bombings, you know, from Muslims who are explicitly forbidden from doing anything like that if you read the Quran, but they're still doing it. You know, you get it, – it's it's crazy, and it, it we look for – and I think it – What's that? Religion is a verbal hobby. Right. And that's, it, it comes back to uh, one of the things – I think you said this. It might have been in – um. Uh, this, oh, geez, the the film you did with William Gazeki, I'm forgetting the name at the moment. Um, Future by Design, when you pointed out, no, it's all, your, your, your religion is telling you, well, no, it's all okay. In the next world, you'll be fine. That's what they tell the peasants working in the farms, you know, or the peasants in our situation working at McDonald's. You know, it's okay that your life is miserable because everything will be fine in the future. You don't have to work to improve of anything because you're going to heaven, you know, so it's not necessary for you to try to innovate to make the world better because you're going to heaven, you know, and there's so many Christians that I talk to who they believe revelation is coming. So they don't need a resource-based economy because this planet, you know, this world, it's not going to last long anyway, and we're all going to heaven. You know, I just, <laughs> it's so dangerous. You know, in India, many people are taught that you're put on earth to suffer for the karma that's do you. So the more you suffer, the more you're paying off your karma. So they would believe they're put here to suffer. So and the tougher it gets on Indians, a lot of them feel pleased because they're paying off their karma. It's a very, very convenient value system when the country is so poor. Now, oh no, I agree with you, and that's. <laughs> You know, the thing you were saying about rich people being unable to uh, to relate to that, I totally get it. There was an article a while ago about a millionaire who gave up, like actually he was more like a billionaire. He's a very wealthy man. He went on a vacation to Africa, and he was exposed to it in its most extreme fashion. And this is when he's on vacation, and he came home, and he couldn't be rich anymore. He gave away like 90% of his wealth because the entire concept – of living like that when there were people who were living that way was just, it just blew his mind. It, you know, it's so out of sight, out of mind. You know, you don't think about it until you're there. You know, it, it reminds me of, you know, uh, one of the things actually, uh, it's, it's just like anything else. It's like the understanding of power. Uh, 
you know, the recent Captain America film came out, and one of the reasons that the this professor character chose the guy he did for that program was he said that, well, you've been small and frail your whole life, and therefore you understand what power is. If I were to give this ability to somebody who is always big and healthy, they wouldn't get it. And that applies to a lot of different things. You know, it's like if, if you give more money to a rich man, he has no appreciation or understanding what, is, what it's like not to have money. You know, um, and it's hard for them to understand. And that's also why our politicians are not really in any position to help us, because it's extremely hard to get elected if you're poor. It basically never happens. You know, look at the, the bottom line of almost every presidential candidate. They're all filthy rich, you know, in comparison. Like, uh, oh, geez, what was that guy? He's even supposedly concentrated on poverty when he was running. Uh, oh, man, I can't remember his name. He was a southerner. And he has this giant mansion, you know, and, and his whole campaign, he was a Democrat. He's recently been mired with all kinds of stuff about having uh, affairs and all that. Oh, John Edwards, you know, filthy rich man who supposedly is a politician is talking endlessly about poverty like he would ever even know what poverty was. Yeah. Well, it, it, you have to understand, too, that the values are superimposed. Everything in this culture that you learn is to perpetuate this culture and the values are superimposed by those in position of advantage to serve them it doesn't come from the bottom up it comes from the top down to serve those people who are more wealthy and have advantages so they they own everything that gives you your values and your that thought patterns and the, your notions of good and bad bad and right and wrong and what to strive for they own them the, the magazines and the TV stations and the newspapers and and the television shows and they own your universities as well. So it's it's very different to hear anything against those people who who own more and more industries. You know, it's just like the Iraq War. It was a the TV stations and the news stations were cheerleaders for the war <laughs> industries because they owned them and they profited from them. I think uh, another comment that I'll bring up uh, came from the film Capitalism, A Love Story by Michael Moore when he's uh, talking to the CEO and owner of Nike, Nike Shoes. And it's so clear that he thinks he's a nice guy. He believes he's a good man. And, you know, Michael Moore's saying, but there's all these people that are unemployed in Flint that would be happy to make your shoes. He's like, no, no, we've done research and, and nobody wants to make shoes. Nobody wants those jobs. And so Michael Moore goes to Flint, Michigan, and finds, you know, hundreds of people who are unemployed because unemployment in Michigan is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, they're like, absolutely. You know, you set up a shoe factory, we will totally make your shoes. And he showed the man the video, and he had still managed to delude himself into believing that there would not be enough people in Michigan who would want a job making shoes because that's how he convinced himself late at night that it would be okay for him to open up his shoe factories in China where he can give everybody 50 cents an hour to make his shoes. You know, it's it's amazing how these people have even managed to brainwash themselves to believe that what they're doing is humanitarian. They talk about it being, I give these people in these sweatshops, I'm doing them a favor. Yeah, that's how they treat this. You know, because now they're not starving to death anymore. Now they're just in terrible poverty. But at least they're not starving to death. It, it's amazing how people can, uh, the power of money can just cause you to be deluded. It's worse than religion sometimes. Oh, I had a, a multimillionaire out here that said, Jock, if you're so smart, how come you're not rich? I said, you're rich. How come you're not smart? <laughs> I remember that. Um, now, 
here's somebody that they're asking. This is kind of a relationship-oriented question. Now, uh, how do you feel people should react towards rejection? Um, how do you prevent it when your partner meets someone with better qualities? I have an answer for this, too, but I'm going to let you comment on it. Well, if you marry a guy because he has five qualities that you like, and you're married one year, and you meet another guy that has ten qualities that you like, you become confused. And that's right. what it's based on. So you say to your husband, I love you, but I like George. You don't love George. You don't use that word. A lot of times, um, people who get rejected and they feel real bad, they don't think about how many times they've rejected other people. They don't think that way. And to think that if somebody is leaving you because somebody else has better qualities, that might not be true. You might just not meet that person's needs, whatever they are. They might be qualities that, that you could never fulfill because they're ridiculous. So, you know, it might not be relevant. Well, I think uh, like it comes back to what you were talking to me about earlier, Roxanne, um, was the idea of sharing values. And this is something, uh, it's another clarity that I came to about relationships was that getting upset because someone has decided they're more compatible with someone else is ridiculous. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It means that person has found someone that they relate to better. It means that the experiences that that person has are more in line with that other person and it doesn't it's it's like it, say for example you take a bolt a three-quarter inch bolt it could be made out of solid gold no matter what how well you've made this three-quarter inch bolt it is never going to fit on a one-half inch nut it's never going to happen you know you're never going to be able to fit the one-half inch nut on there you know it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the three-quarter inch bolt or the three or the half inch nut it's a matter of compatibility that just isn't there and to get upset about that, you know, and I think we've, we've definitely in our society attached too much of our self-esteem to these kinds of issues that are really uh, superficial. You know, there's nothing wrong with you as a human being if somebody, quote unquote, rejects you. You know, and, and honestly, if they've found someone who's more compatible with them, that means there's someone more compatible with you somewhere in the world. And it seems like a total waste of energy. At that point, they're doing you a favor because now you can move on and go find somebody you're inevitably going to be happier with rather than wasting your time trying to cut and paste a relationship that wasn't working in the first place. Uh, that's, I think, uh, an important thing that people should look at. Is And I, I was really set free when I detached my, my personal self-esteem from what other people, particularly in relationships, think about me. You know, a girl is interested, a girl is not interested. That doesn't mean anything about the quality of a person I am. It means that they're not somebody who has a lot in common with me, so I wouldn't be happy with them anyway. So It's true. It's true. And a lot of times people project into them, the, into their partner, what really isn't there. They project their own needs into their partner like it is there, but a lot of times it isn't. It takes many years to find out that those things aren't true in the other person that you thought were. Now, another thing that they're saying is, you know, in the future, in a resource beta commie, you know, would relationships be subjective? Um, and I think that uh, that comes back to that answer, the question we always get asked about, well, what if one man wants the same woman or whatever? And my answer to that, I believe you gave on a previous show, was that these kinds of reactions are due to scarcity in the environment of people that you are compatible with in a world where you can travel anywhere. You know, you have the entire human race. 
to look at as the possibility of somebody who might be a good partner for you. You know, the Internet has already created situations where people find themselves able to find people that they relate to a lot better that they would have never met if it weren't for that technology. Now, you combine that technology with the ability to travel, and you have a world where it's so much easier to find somebody compatible. In fact, in the future, most people will get along very well with one another. And you'll love as many people who are lovable to you for different reasons, maybe. And I think uh, it's also that people don't – it's like they they go, they are around people who make them feel secure, maybe make them feel safe or make them feel better about themselves, and they think that's love, and it's just not. You know, I've had so many relationships with people that were very attractive, and you're you're taught, you're conditioned to believing that having a physically attractive wife or significant other is an extension of you as a person. It, it defines what kind of a quality of a person you are, and it's total hogwash. You know, I, I know people who have relationships with very attractive people, and they're miserable all the time. The notion that that person is any better off as a person because of that is just silly, you know. Um, and I, it, it all goes back to that same, just all the, the mishmashed garbage that we have in our society that would just not exist in a rational society as proposed by the Venus Project. Yes, today sometimes it takes so long to learn what your needs really are, you're about ready to kick the bucket by that time. Now, this question is a little awkward, but I remember Jacques talking about something like this in the past. Like, because there, there's the same person is kind of uh, trying to answer questions for themselves about, you know, being hurt when when relationships break up. You now, for example, Jacques, if Roxanne left, you know, would you feel hurt? I would miss her, but if I love her, meaning if I'm concerned about her well-being, if she left. I, I am glad that she's happier. I will help her pack. But I will miss her. I will feel hurt. But I won't try to stop her. Now, Rox, if, no, that's a good answer. Roxanne, how would you feel about it if it were the other way around? Um, pretty much the same. I would feel that I don't meet his needs in a lot of ways. And... Um, so, you know, getting mad at somebody for that is really ridiculous. It, and selfish, really. Yeah, it means the relationship isn't there in the first place. And I, I think that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is that people are so desperate not to be alone because our society tells people that if you're single, there's something wrong with you. You know, so as a result, you stay in relationships that are terrible because they're better than, quote-unquote, being alone even though in some relationships they could be so horrible, you feel more than alone. You feel completely alienated. You know, um, and I think way too many people, uh, they get attached to this notion that, you know, once again, their value as a person is, is oriented to that, and it allows them to do some very dysfunctional things, terrible things, terrible for your children, too, because the environment they get brought up in is that, well, mommies and daddies don't have to actually like each other. They just have to stay together. Well, a lot of times they have to stay together because the woman can't leave the relationship, or sometimes the man, because they're dependent on the other person's income. So people live in quiet desperation a lot of times because of financial constraints. They're marriages of convenience a lot. I often say, Neil, that if the Venus Project is ever established, people would leave one another 
because for the first time in their lives they'd be free to do what they want to do when you don't depend on other people. Yep, that's very true. I don't think that people recognize that until they've actually done it, and I think it's because they're conditioned to believe that if they don't have that, then they they get afraid. You know, yeah. so that doesn't even occur to them what they can accomplish by themselves. That's it, true. There were so many different things that I realized because I was Christian a very long time ago. You're very much conditioned to believe, well, God provides everything. You know, so and, and any good thing that you accomplish in your own life, you attribute to God. You don't even it doesn't even occur to you that you know, hey, you did a good job on that science project. So you pray and you thank God, you know, as if God came down and did all the research for you, as if God came down and did all the work for you, and it, it really cheats you. It really cheats you out of your own, um, you know, your own value as a person. You 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 begin to, but, but you but you give this and in some kind of exchange, with for the idea of well, but because I give God all this credit, then I know that I'm going to live an eternal life in heaven somewhere. You know, it bothers me, Neil. This. Sometimes an artist is very good, and the average person calls it a God-given gift. If a God-given gift, why well, respect the guy? He didn't earn it. Right. Now, talent. What is talent? Do you think that talents exist genetically, or are they also an aspect of education? I believe it's a, a result of the environment you live in. You learn certain things don't work, and you stop doing them. Your judgment regarding uh, the only thing that's inborn is your color perception, the knee reflex, uh, where you look or genetically inherit certain features of your parents, the shape of the nose, the ears, the color of the eyes. That's all genetic. But most behavior, such as bigotry, prejudice, greed, is all learned. Now, I guess then, you know, when it comes to things like, because some people would say, well, this person's a talented artist, this person's a talented speaker, you know, and I guess all of these things then are things that could be cultivated in people when they're young. And that goes back to the education stuff we were talking about, more Einsteins, you know, more Edison's, because, you know, Edison's mother took that extra time to help develop her, you know, her son's brain and thinking capacity. He became an Edison. It isn't that he was born a genius. Right. That's exactly the way it works. Now, um, I guess we have some questions here. Uh, ask Jock about what your position is concerning metaphysics. I guess which you know, metaphysics, superstition, religion are kind of all in a bag, but as related to science, science and sanity. Krasinski goes into this. I think Jock read that book. Well, the demon haunted world deals with that pretty good. I would say that the reason people believe in God is because they have a low self-sufficiency and they'd like to believe that somebody up there loves them. Somebody up there cares about their well-being. Like a young girl came up to me and said, Jock, I'm here to, for a certain reason and you're here to help make the world a better place. I said, you're here because your father didn't use a condom. Mhm. Now, people are asking. Uh, this is <laughs> it's a bit more of a racy question, but it does have a very legitimate point. Um, sexuality in the future? Will sex ever become something that is only for procreation, 
or will it you know will it stay something that people do recreationally? No, they won't be that sexually motivated in the future because it's not emphasized. You know, it scares in this country. Girls are told not to have sex until you get married in the old days. And then they covered up their body, which emphasized those things. In the future, boys and girls will swim nude when they're very young. And therefore, that'll be the end of girly magazines and sexy magazines because there's no need for it. Can you describe how that was on the islands in terms of sex? Well, I told you that the people would walk around without clothing on many of the South Pacific Islands in the old days. And I never saw a peeping Tom or a fetish. They had no fetishes. And they they would never stare at the female body. They'd look at the eyes of the young lady they're talking to. In other words... Our behavior, if you covered a girl's nose and said, well, guy, did you ever see a girl's nose? I said, no. Show him a photograph, half-exposed half nose. He might have to loosen his collar if he's brought up to that. When I was a baby, when I was very young, girls used to wear bathing suits that came down at their ankles. There were, there were little extensions sticking out of the bathing suit, and you couldn't see the girl's ankle. But if a bathing suit happened to be a little short, you were motivated sexually. Now, what about the attitude about sex in general in those cultures? It'll be much less in the future. I think that men will switch a little more and women a little less. Did you find there was less sex on the island? Yes. But they had sex any time they wanted. You know, they just ran in the woods and had sex, so they had sex right in the beach in front of anybody. everybody. They didn't have that... That idea of, yeah, privacy with something like that. So I guess that's, you know, there are so many fetishes and just different attitudes about things like that 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 come and go and change. And religion, of course, always has its hand in that as well. But, you know, culturally, you know, it's when we can look at things even better, just also just the quality of it, like uh, sex therapists make money telling people the scientific truths about their body to help people understand how to be better lovers. And that's a rational approach to the problem that would be uh, more scientifically based as opposed to some of the ways that we treat sex in our society. We don't talk about it. And then we wonder why we don't enjoy ourselves because we can't communicate about it. You know, all those uh, taboos and superstitions about it that are so messed up, you know, as opposed to just being able to outright talk to people about it. Like any other problem, uh, communication and education solves it uh, when you think rationally, as opposed to being so concerned about you know the, what society's views on things are. Well, most of us are influenced by our society, our books, our newspapers, the scandal sheets. No one would pay attention to the private lives of other people. They just don't concern themselves. They're too busy living their own life. Right. And I, I think with religion, too, it's supposed to be such a dirty, such a sinful thing that you're not supposed to do it all. And then all of a sudden, when you get married, it's supposed to be the best thing there is. So how do you override that all your life when you think it's dirty and sinful? And then it's supposed to be wonderful all of a sudden the next day after you get married. There's so many conflicts with religion. Right. Um 
Now we're coming down to the last 15 minutes or so. Uh, is there any topics that I'm going to ask again if anybody has any questions, obviously, in the audience, but um, as we're waiting to do that, are there any things that you know you guys would like to talk about uh, that maybe we didn't cover? Um, go ahead, Jacques. Uh, whatever comes to mind. I would say if you wish to develop well, you have to be ruthlessly honest. In other words, if somebody says to you, do you think we'll ever get to Mars? And say, say, nah, not in a thousand years. That's your opinion. Just say, I know nothing about spaceships, space travel, or that problem. I don't know. You have to learn how to say, I don't know. And that's the honesty that I'm talking about. But people have opinions about everything. And that's one of the most detrimental things, is to give people the right to their own opinion. When you ask a person, do you think, will have automobiles that are absolutely safe, just say, I know nothing about how to make cars safer. I don't know enough about it. I can't answer that question. Now, actually, that's a, an interesting thing that tends to make people panic at first. Is like you're saying, you don't have the right to your own opinion means you don't have the right to think for yourself. What I tend to tell people is, no, what I said was you shouldn't have the right to run around uh, spreading half-assed, unresearched ideas as facts. Because that's dangerous. It does damage to yourself. It does damage to everyone else. And usually it's about trivial things. But the example you bring up about, well, I've got opinions about why this girl has a bunch of people visiting her house. You know, you could do all kinds of damage to that person's reputation. It's not about not being able to think. It's, it's, it's actually suggesting maybe you should think. Maybe you should research before you open your mouth and start spreading information. Like, you know, like you said on one of my shows, people are, you know, encouraged to run off at the mouth rather than actually knowing what they're doing or talking about. It's like we need to clarify, we need to cleanse our thought process of all this garbage and actually think for real. If you're really thinking, you don't need opinions. You have conclusions. Yes. We always say instead of having people have the right to their own opinion, give them information instead. They, they'd have the right to information and access to information in the future instead of just opinions without anything backing it up. Right. Now, um, moving on, let me see, there was a question here. Jock, how can we help people get out of the conditioning of the belief of ownership over material objects or people? I would suggest that you read the book, The Best That Money Can't Buy, because it's not possible in these few minutes on the air to go into all kinds of detail. I would say the book called The Best That Money Can Buy, The Venus Project, is described in many, many ways. So after you read that book, if you have any questions, that would be worthwhile. Yeah, actually, that can be found on our website. That's one of Jacques' books. And it's really pertinent to read that, to learn more about this direction, because it's so very different. The values are so different, and the direction is different. If you really want a world without war, poverty, hunger, and most crimes, you have to declare all the Earth's resources as a common heritage of all the world's people. Anything less than that, war becomes commonplace. And the, even the Bible says there'll always be wars and rumors of war. We shall always have the poor amongst us. I don't buy that. 
I think we can overcome those problems. I think that man has a limitless future, that there are no final frontiers, no best society, no best laptop. It'll get lighter, better, faster in the future. But you cannot design the final product. I wanted to mention, too, that when people just use the word resource-based economy, I don't think they have a true meaning of, of exactly what it means in regards to the person that arrived at it. It, it's not just the distribution of resources. It's a total socioeconomic design. It's it's a total systems approach, and and it it also includes architecture, values, resource management, intelligent use of resources. It's it's all inclusive. It's not just the way we make goods and services available. So if you read the book, The Best That Money Can't Buy, you'll learn more about that total approach. That's actually, a, it's an excellent book. And to those of you who are listening, I did several radio shows where you read some of the book and had panel discussions. You can find those at v-radio.org. Um, and there you can go into the archives. And it's an excellent book. I advise it to anybody, um, you know, purchase it, read it, you know, cover to cover. Uh, you know, give it to people. It's it's basically a great way of transforming the way you look at the world and the fact that we actually can fix a lot of these problems. Um, now, actually, that is something uh, I was going to say. Uh, was you guys are actually having like lectures on Teamspeak now, right? Yes, on Sunday at ten o'clock, we're doing that. We're answering questions and and having lectures too. Yes, and we also have study courses. Other people are, are reading The Best That Money Can't Buy aloud and talking about it mm -hmm. and are listening to Jacques' lectures. We have a lot of different lectures on our website, on our store, also on our YouTube media channel. You can find all that on our website, thevenusproject.com. But there's a lot of information up there. Excellent, excellent. So um, Sunday at what time is that again? 10 a.m. Now, where can they find the information? And that's Eastern Time. Where can they find the information to get on the TeamSpeak? Um, on our website, join the activism team. You can become a part of that as well. Um, on our website, Global Activism, under Get Involved, Global Activism. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, thanks again, guys, for coming on the radio show. Um, as always, it's always great to have you on. You know, don't hesitate. If you have any news about anything that's going on in your organization, let me know. I'll be happy to have you back on. Thanks, Neil. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do, Neil. We deeply appreciate it. Um, well, that being the case, we're actually now to the last few minutes of the show. Um, Jacques, let me, uh, I guess uh, we've, well, we've pretty much covered everything, and I even gave you a chance for the, the final statements. Is there anything else you want to say for the last six minutes? <laughs> Become better informed about the Venus Project. Try not to assume that it means a bunch of technicians telling people what to do. There's no elitism in the Venus Project. There are merely people that do research and find better ways of doing things, and they make recommendations. They do not force people into anything. There's no military, national guard, armies, navies, prisons, or police. There's no need for it. When people have access to the necessities of life, they do not steal. Excellent. 
Well, thanks again, everybody. And um, I guess we're going to draw this episode of V-Radio to a close. I really appreciate everybody who supported the show and everybody who supported the Venus Project. Um, and once again, guys, as always, uh, V-Radio is asking for donations. You can check that out at v-radio.org. You can also check out uh, at that same website. I have links to the Venus Project website. You guys are at thevenusproject.com. They're still looking for donations for their film efforts. You know, don't forget to pitch into that. And about donations, as I've been saying to people so many times, you know, it is good to give big if you can, but don't look at it as that kind of a problem. You know, if you give even what you can on a regular basis, even if it's a small amount, if everybody does that who's interested in this direction, then we shouldn't have any problem with funding. It doesn't need to be this giant insurmountable problem. If everybody gives a little, because there are a lot of people interested in what we're doing here, there shouldn't be a problem at all in us achieving what it is that we'll need. Um, and in addition to that, you can go to my archives section. Uh, there you can listen to more shows like this one. I've had Jock and Roxanne on the show several times. Um, lots of other good guests, uh, activists, scientists, uh, documentary filmmakers, uh, virtually, and, you know, not to mention blogs that I've done in the past where I bring on panels for people to have good discussions about different topics. You can check that out on my website. And the must-see TV list is a list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet for with links provided to learn more about this direction and a lot of other of the issues going on in the world. So thanks again, everybody. We'll go ahead and um, disconnect now. And uh, go ahead and say goodbye, Jock and Roxanne. Yes. Thanks again. And keep up the good work, Neil. Excellent. Yes, thank you, Neil. We appreciate everybody who's listening as well. Yes. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jock Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio. (laughs) 